0: Welcome to the Golf Drifter Podcast, brought to you by GolfDrifter.com. Thanks for joining us. It's a big week. It's a major week. Uh, The PGA is being held at the uh, Kiowa Island, the ocean course. Um, Really big week in golf. But uh, before we get to talk
1: about that, welcome Vaughan. Thank you, Casey. It is a very big week. I'm very excited to watch some uh, major action unfold over the next uh, four or five days. I love the coverage and the hype that leads up to it on some of the... Uh, on the Golf Channel in particular. Blund, fantastic.
0: It is indeed. I think if, if you're a golf fan, those four uh, those four major weeks of the year are, are probably some of the, the best viewing you get, if not the best viewing. And uh, I think it is a combination of, of seeing courses you don't see a lot, uh, seeing players struggle, but obviously seeing uh, that one or two players come through in the last day. So we'll talk about the um, the major uh, later on in this podcast.
1: But to start with, Vaughn, your week in golf, what's been happening? Well, I did play uh, golf on Saturday. Uh, Once again at at Rustley, it's unusual that I would play there uh, twice in a a row, but that's just the way it happened to work out. I played horribly, so we won't uh, reflect too much on my actual golf game. Let's just say I've got some uh, putting woes that I need to sort out. Uh, But what was particularly good in this round of golf is I played with a young fellow in sixth form. uh He might have been in seventh form, so I apologise if I'm a year out. Either way, he was either 16 or 17 and he shot a wonderful two-under par round of golf while playing with him. And I have to say it was wonderful to watch him play really, really well while I struggled around beside him. What uh, I mean, i played with a few young phenoms myself
0: and it always it's one consistent thing. They often, I mean, yes, they must score well because they score two under and
1: so obviously they make thirties mm. but just feels like they don't make mistakes. Was that what you saw? That's exactly what I saw. In fact, you couldn't have summed it up any better. Whilst I was wandering around in the trees and struggling to uh, get a putt within 10 foot from 40, 50 feet out, he was consistently hitting it down the middle and hitting the ball to 20 feet right of the pin and giving himself quite easy pars generally across the board. So I wouldn't say it was flashy golf by any stretch of the imagination. When we both hit, hit it down the middle, I was driving it just as far. It's just, like you say, didn't make any mistakes. It was it was pretty impressive. Do you think your game was affected by where how well he was playing? Do you think
0: you're under a bit of pressure?
1: No, I just played like rubbish, to be completely honest. Um, no, I don't really believe that that was the case. Uh, to be honest, I actually really enjoyed particularly on the back nine when I'd pretty much given up on shooting a great round of golf. And I went to just experimenting, trying to hit um, power fades. I I was better and more fun actually encouraging him after he made a couple of bogeys to say, hey, I really want to see you go low, as did the other two members of our group, um, than actually worry too much about what my score was or how my golf game was going. And that was really good. And then talking to him about his golf game and what he wants to do in the coming years, golf courses he's played, it was really cool to get the perspective of someone essentially thirty years younger than me. You
0: now, what I got an interesting question as I was thinking about this
1: because you know everywhere around the world there's
0: probably ten thousand kids that, that are doing what he's doing, playing well, plenty of amateurs that have the game in theory to to go on and do good things, but as we know, a very very small percentage of them do that. Mm. And, and it's just been as you've been talking, I'm been thinking like, what is what do you think makes the difference? I mean, what obviously the chances are that this kid won't go on to be a professional golfer of
1: note, but I mean, I don't know, does he have a plan? Did you talk to him about how he plans to do it? I mean, what do you think he needs to do? Yep. Um, So I think some of his plans may have been slightly curtailed by COVID, as I imagine a lot of people's plans across the world in various forms have been. He wants to get to the States. That was definitely a big part of, of his plan, was to get over there and potentially try and get into the college system from there, what does he need to do? Or from now, what does he need to do to get to that point? Like I say, if he's hitting the ball as far as me, and I think I hit the ball a fairly decent distance, above average, certainly, I would have imagined that he needs to hit the ball a long way past me to get to the next level um, of golf. And to be hitting the ball 20 metres um, away from the pin on a... Very nice golf course, but not a uh, championship-caliber golf course. Perhaps he needs to hit them a little bit closer. Um, And that's, that's, I guess, around scoring. The question I guess I would have is, what about the mental side of the game? What does he need to do around the mental side of the game? That's not something I asked him, but perhaps that's something that would really start to separate some of the young guys out, even at at an early age. Yeah, I certainly think that grind, we talked about it a couple of
0: weeks ago when we were talking about whether we could foolishly become scratch yeah. golfers, but the grind of, of having just to do it every day, rain hail or shine, yes. You know, knowing that there was 10,000 other kids doing the same thing and knowing that actually the difference between all of you wasn't that much, but that somehow you had to eke out that you know point 0.1% and, and whether you could do that when you inevitably regress or when you inevitably have a bad round, could you still enjoy it? And yes. doing it for 10, 15 years. And I, I think it is mental. I mean, you look at modern golfers. I mean, Will Zalatoris is a good example. There's not much to him. So you don't look at him and go, "Okay, it's a physical thing." You don't look at him and go, "It's, mm. you know, it's anything other than just clearly having." I think it's a combination of of the the mental side of it. Obviously, you know, physically staying in shape is important, and then I suspect good coaching and, and good mentors, etc. But I mean, yeah, it's it's clearly not just about you know time spent hitting balls. Or if you're good yeah. enough, there's thousands of guys in theory could do it. Yes, I agree.
1: And what I was very impressed by this young man was actually his temperament and manner. So he was playing with myself and two guys that were in their early 50s. And the way he actually conducted himself, as in the conversations we were having throughout the course of the round in between our shots, were that of someone of a lot of a lot more maturity and of, of a higher age. So from that perspective, I found that quite impressive. There was no ego about him. I mean, if, if we were having some serious competition within our four, which we were not giving him any competition, um, he certainly had every right to have given it to us if if he wanted to. But he didn't. Um, he was very respectful and he just loved talking about golf and life in general. We talked a lot about sport. We actually... Spent a lot of time, and this will come as no surprise to you, talking about uh, the NBA. Um, but just sport in general, about what he's doing at school. Like I said, what what his plans are kind of in the, in the next few years. And yeah, I, I've actually found that to be very impressive.
0: I know when I've spoken or played with a couple of aspiring pros or sort of pros in the New Zealand circuit, yeah, one of the things they always said was when you had to start making money to pay your bills, everything yeah. changed. And, yeah. you know, as a young player going to college, et cetera, you're sort of, it's all bonus. It's all gravy on top of, yep. of this game you love. But that, I do think that that day when you have to earn money to pay your bills, I mean, that's going to separate, I believe, probably, you know, the 0.1% from everybody else. So that that's the thing that I don't think you can really test yep. until you get there. Yep, fair call. I'd agree with that. Anyway, um. Oh it's an exciting week hopefully we'll be back out on course I did not play golf this week uh, it happens I' am, I'm currently selling a house so there's a little bit of a reason for that but also uh, as as a father of two young kids I'm not playing as much as I'd like and that's something that I have to uh, grind through myself it does I do spend ridiculous amounts of my week trying to invent reasons to get on the golf course without needing to just um, go play golf so I'm always looking for work excuses and stuff I'm not getting many of those at the moment but uh it's all good because when I do get out there, I will say this, I'm enjoying my golf probably more than ever because I'm, uh, I am I guess it means more. Like, I just enjoy the opportunity. So there are some pluses, but uh, that's my boring golf week. I am looking forward to getting out to the Rimary Golf Course, the new double-decker range they've installed with uh, nice lights. So that'll be a good, good chance to get out there in the next uh, week or two. But um, look, let's get on to the big topic of the week, and that is the major. So the second mm. major of the year. Uh, the PGA on the ocean course at Kiowa Island. Uh, I don't know a ton about the course. I don't really remember watching Rory win in 2012, but I've, I've studied the course. It's only about three hours drive from where my father-in-law lives. So it's sort of on my maybe play one day list and you can yep. go down there and play. Um, so,
1: so I guess the first question is uh, who wins this week? <sighs> if I knew that Casey, I would, uh, I'd probably be retiring and doing this podcast professionally. Um, very tough question but you've asked it so let's try and give some names uh, I can't believe I'm going to say his name after last week I quite clearly said that what were the chances of winning a major that they're not very good but I'm going to say Rory McElroy, given the fact that he streeted the field the last time they played here and he seems to be back in some type of form after actually winning his last tournament Suddenly, everywhere I'm reading, everyone seems to be picking him. So I think he is a logical potential pick to take it all. Um, I also think Victor Hovland, just the model of consistency. Um, And the last guy I had written down as a potential win option was Bryson DeChambeau, given the incredible length of the golf course. Have you seen how long this course is?
0: Well, it's going to topic for for slightly later in the podcast. Yes, we were going to discuss how tough it is, the longest championship course ever, right? Seven thousand eight hundred yards or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: seven thousand eight hundred and seventy six yards or seven thousand two hundred and two meters. Um, it's a pretty long old test there. And I was just, funnily enough, I was looking at where I played on on Saturday uh, and it measured five thousand eight hundred and sixty four meters. Which uh, would equate to 74 meters per hole of play over the course of 18 holes. That is a lot of that's a lot of golf. That is a lot of golf. Um, so yeah, I, I dare say that the guys that have got a bit of length were probably got an advantage this week.
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I actually also had Hobland on my list. He was my uh, first go-to guy in terms of I just like I like what he's doing. I think he's been mm. pretty consistent of late. I think his game's in good shape. I um, also had, I hate to say it because I'm not a fan of him, Patrick Reed was also on my list. I just sort of think maybe sort of a grunder's course, even though you've got to play well. But I think, you know, having been there before, those are the two that probably stood out for me. Um, I also, I mean, I hear with without Rory, I mean, as you know, I picked him in our competition this week, our, our mm-hmm. gambling picks, even though I, I also said he has stood no chance. But I felt like uh, with the first pick in our competition, I couldn't but pick him. But uh, look, I think... Clearly, it's a course where the wind's going to blow. I think the likes of the Mark Leishman, uh, Cameron Smith, some of those Aussie boys that have played well in the wind, you never know. Um, it might be a bit lucky if you get the right side of the draw or if you cop some slightly better conditions. Um, it certainly looks like a brute, as you say, in the length. And when you've got to hit it that long and you've still got to hit it what it looks like to be relatively straight, um, you probably do it probably does count out some of the shorter hitters. Um, mm. You know, I'm always a fan of a guy like Kevin Kisner. I just don't see how he could win at a at a course like this, even though it's sort of, he likes those sort of seesaw so courses, just too long. So, yeah, look, it's something we'll talk about in a second about, you know, how hard this course actually is. But do you think it's a shame that effectively it, you've got to be a long-hitter to win? Or do you think you have to be a long-hitter to win? Well,
1: we, we've made that that assumption that it's going to be a, a long-hitter that's going to win. But the principles of golf say put it in play, hit it straight, you've got a chance. It's just a case of, I feel like some of those guys that have got the extra bit of power, if they do those things, how can you possibly catch them? They all kind of need to fall over. And that's, I think a, a bit of a, a bit of an ask. Um, yeah. I'm interested to know is give me, give me a couple of names of guys that perhaps aren't household names that you think will play well this week. Well, I don't think, I won't say they're not
0: household names, but the guy that uh, I think has been having a little bit of resurgence of late is Keegan Bradley. I think uh, you never quite, you know, I feel like he's a guy that could be there. I mean, Sam Burns has obviously played well. He's sort of tough last round, but I think those two are up there. And then probably Zalatoris too. I mean, he's, Uh you know, obviously confident guy, playing well. So those three names, yeah, probably some roughies.
1: I think Bradley's a particularly good pick. If I... My research is correct. I think he finished third here to Rory uh, eight years ago when he was defending his PGA Championship. So I think that's a pretty good pick. Um, the guy that I had down, and I don't know if you can call him a roughy, but might be even a bit rough calling him a these days, but, but was Gary Woodland, um, a guy that's obviously got some tremendous length off the tee. He's coming in with a couple of uh, top tens. He's been injured for the best part of the last year. I kind of feel like his time might be just about coming around again to, to do something good. Um, the other guy I looked at was Max Homer. Um, Jim Bones Mackay is on his bag this particular week. And in big tournaments, it's quite handy to have a, an experienced uh, caddy on, on your bag. I thought he might be a wee chance. And a guy that I've been talking to you about a wee bit uh, from South Africa, um, Garrick Higo. Um I noticed enough that he was actually the sixth most bet upon golfer in the entire field. So there's some, some talk around him from somebody uh, that he might well do something this week as well. First ever major. Hey, tell me
0: when you go to the casino and pay roulette, are you one of those guys who, like drops? <laughs> that the, 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 like your little chips on every corner and then like wins every time.
1: Is that you? Or just... I'm pretty sure we both picked six guys all up here. Uh, no, always go 34 red, mate. Always go
0: 34 red. Wonderful. Hey, um, Quick question about the PGA, and it might it might not be a quick question because it's something that, uh, that's been on my mind. I think the PGA is clearly the least desirable major to win. I don't know if you agree, but why? I mean, I, I've been thinking about this myself. Was it just historically that it was the fourth major in the year and that sort of fell at the end of the season and no one cared? Or is it, I mean, I guess, is it just the unfortunate reality of the US Opens are uh, played in generally a brutal track, and everyone loves seeing that. Augusta's Augusta, it goes without saying. And the British Opens is big point of difference. But, I mean, the PGA just feels like there wouldn't be a goal from the planet
1: that wouldn't say that's the, the least important major. I struggle to disagree with you, which makes for terrible podcasting, but I completely agree. The British Open, Augusta, the Masters, they kind of – stand out don't they as as the two benchmarks um, I, I see the interviews of the American players and they talk so highly about the US Open again you have to kind of put it above the PGA it is it does feel very much like the fourth wheel of, of the quartet of them so I very much agree um, if I had to miss one to watch every year that would be the one that I would choose to miss so, yeah, I'm, I'm in complete grants.
0: 10 PGA Tour wins or uh, winning the PGA?
1: You ask the tough questions, don't you? I'll take the 10 PGA Tour wins. I
0: would I, you? Think I, would, I think 10's about my number. I deliberately asked 10. I think 10 wins, yeah, I probably would take 10 over the PGA. And, and I wouldn't take 10 over the other three majors. But I think 10 over the
1: PGA is about right. I don't want to pick on any golfers, but now, now you've this actually wasn't a topic that uh, that I put too much thought into. But I'm just trying to think of guys that have won the this this particular tournament and nothing else. And two guys have immediately come to mind. Uh, and excuse me if I'm wrong, but Sean McKeel? Yes, yes, that's right. Yep, Rich Bean.
0: Oh, there's been a few. There's, it's always that one at the end of the year that is easily forgotten. Yes,
1: yeah. How many? Yeah, Jimmy tour... Walker.
0: Jimmy Walker's a PGA winner, wasn't he? Oh, yes. From... Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah sure. I wonder how many PGA. I, I don't have it sitting in front of me at the moment, but I'm assuming that they they didn't rack up a lot of um, tour wins. It'd be interesting to know if they would take ten wins over the PGA tour win. It's an
0: interesting question, yeah. I mean, I think obviously uh, you know, money-wise you'd be better off with 10 wins, but I suppose it depends if you're a golf snob and you want to have that sort of that major title. Because once you win one golf major, you're kind of a legend for life. So, tough question. But hey, on that note of, of how hard Keowar Island is, I mean, we've both done our research. It's obviously a brute. It looks like it. there's not too many uh, fairways next to fairways, which would be a problem for me. Personally, <laughs> here's a question that I've been thinking about a lot, and I love thinking about this question whenever I see pros. What do you think you would shoot on a major course? So I'm talking Keowa Island, set up for the pros, seventy-eight thousand yards. Greens running fast. Now, importantly, I'll point out ball and hole. So you you hit the ball out, you'll keep on going. Mm-hmm. What do you re- what do you reckon you shoot? Oh. oh boy, you're teeing off. By the way, you're teeing off in the first group of the day, so maybe slightly better conditions. But uh, you're playing on the same day as the pros.
1: How good a nick am I in? Am I, am I in as good a form as I can humanly be in or middle-of-the-road form?
0: Well, I won't, You tell me. You tell me what you think your score in both conditions. I, <laughs> I personally don't think it would matter a whole lot. I think my frailties
1: would show through under that pressure. But uh, I think you're right. Under, I think under the pressure, given the fact that we're, we're talking that there's going to be crowds there and so forth, if I could break 100, I'd be pretty excited.
0: I don't I think. think I'll just come say. out and say it neither of us stands a hope in hell in breaking 100. I don't reckon 100's even close to the number.
1: That's but interesting.
0: I, oh. I reckon, I, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, I reckon the length alone, I mean, you do hit the ball a bit further than I do, but any time we'd reach a green in regulation would be heroic, I reckon. The, yep. I mean, you know, the, the par fours alone, I, I remember playing Cat Kidnappers a few weeks back and it felt like we were hitting a lot of hybrids into par fours and that, this, of course, was a 1,000 metres shorter, but the ball wasn't running. Now, Keough Island may might, might run a bit more, but, Every green and relation a regulation would be a heroic shot. So I'm I'm going as far as saying anything double bogey would be considered par, I reckon. Mm-hmm. So that would be if you if you put took eight, maybe part threes aside, but let's say double bogey, that would put you at about a hundred and what's that, hundred and eight? I assume it's a par seventy two. I actually don't know that. Yep. Um and then the the ball and hole thing would be the killer because it looks like pretty much every hole the ball can be lost on. And if you've got to keep on going, you will rack up a twelve or a fifteen somewhere on that day. So I think you'll have a few, you know, bogeys, maybe the odd par, but you'll rack up a big number. So I'm calling personally. If I bet 110, I'd be over the moon. If I, but I'd think in 120 on a on a course set up for the pros, playing on the day of the PGA. Don't forget,
1: you're up, out in the first group. Yeah, maybe that, more. I think that that's the part that would possibly get to me, um, is the actual pressure of seeing a couple of thousand people lining the fairways, knowing that at any given point I could spray one quite comfortably into that crowd and do some damage. That is what actually would physically make me quite nervous. And yes, I think that there's a price to pay score-wise for that level of pressure. I think that we? if we were out there, just the two of us, playing that course and we'd perhaps had a couple of rounds of practice, I would like to think that we could do something closer to the 100 to the mark.
0: Yeah, I think the playing in a proper tournament, I mean, that, yeah, 20 strokes, I reckon. It could be 130, to be honest, because the nerves would be ridiculous. But certainly, I think the length would be the killer. I mean, when you're having to hit your hybrids and longer clubs into par fours every time, and I, I remember, like I said, doing this cat kidnappers, it's just, it's hard golf. I mean, very rarely do you hit a green, which means you've got a chip on. All of a sudden, your chip rolls, because it's so fast, the other side of the green. You three-putt, you've shot a six, and you don't really feel like you've had a particularly bad hole. Mm. And, you, you know, it is a double bogey, and you're like, I didn't really do too much wrong there. I mean, that's that, I reckon, would be the case a lot on Kiowa Island. And, uh, you know, like I said, ball and hole would be the killer, having to play out every
1: time you lost the ball. Oh, you'd, you'd have a big, ugly 15 in there sometime during the week. Oh, yes. And the five-footers that you have on your local golf course as opposed to a five-footer with a couple of thousand people around the green, they get quite nervous quite quickly, I assume.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, even if you're out in the first group with sort of two club pros, it's not something I'm going to talk about in a second, actually, but you're out there with two club pros, you know, you would still be playing at a major. Everything would be set up, the towers and the people and everything. The, the feeling would be pressure. In fact, that's something I do like about the PGA. I'll say that out there. I think they've got about 20 club pros, I think, from the USA that play. So I do like that element. I don't think you see much of them on the coverage from memory, but the fact that kind of a, a common man golfer uh, – is out there. Now, I guess these guys are pros, but not all pros necessarily. Club pros are scratch golfers. Some are, you know, probably scratch golfers at one point mm-hmm. in their life. But uh, I do like that element of, of the PGA
1: in particular. Oh, look, I think it's very appealing. But is that part of the reason why it's not considered, perhaps, as illustrious as the other three?
0: They Certainly, they, do, they have been known to play courses that traditionally the PGA Tour plays regularly. Um, I mean, I think when... Justin Thomas one right there at Quail Hollow, which they play every year. That's a little bit of a, an unfair criticism because U.S. Open's about to be at Torrey Pines. They play there every year too. But you know, I think it, it has been known to be played at kind of ho-hum courses. I mean, I I played uh, Harding Park where the PGA was last last year when Morikawa won, and then that course was very average in my opinion. I mean, it was pleasant, but I couldn't believe they were going to host a major there. So. Yeah, I, I guess it's just unfortunate. I think it used to be last in the year. I think it is better for it that it's in the second slot now. I think that helps with the build up. But for whatever reason it doesn't just doesn't seem to have the appeal. However, I do think uh Keowa Island just visually will add a, a certain element of intrigue. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago that we'd love the PGA to play on more links courses visually. You know, they play a lot of tree lined kind of stock standard. You know golf courses, and I think playing in a in those links courses. I mean, just visually, it's spectacular, and certainly when a lot of us go to
1: golf holidays, that's the sort of course we like to look at. Yeah, and, and visually, it is an incredible looking golf course. And actually, funnily enough, just looking at the golf course now, I'm actually starting to get heart palpitations at the prospect of some of those approach shots, um, with the idea that there's a few thousand eyes physically actually on me. Yeah, that suddenly my prediction of of breaking a hundred is is feeling very very light and very optimistic yes well i I've, I've agreed with this one for a
0: little while to be honest I, I I think to be honest if I broke 120 so 50 strokes worse than a pro I think would be a miraculous performance on the day of a, a pJ i mean i just I'm not even sure if I can get to the end of the round it would be so embarrassing and so difficult it would be a it'll be a challenge to keep going because uh, you would just feel like you were the worst golfer on the planet, which at that point you probably were, to be honest. So uh, it would be tricky. But hey, one thing I was going to ask you about is, because um, you know as I mentioned, this, the Kiowa Island course is actually uh, just down the road from, when I say just down the road, three hours down the road from my father-in-law's house. So we, we have talked about at one point or another going along to play. And I believe last time I checked, it was about uh, well, there's about five courses on the side, I think. But I think the Ocean course was in the vicinity of, of $400 potentially to play. Mm. I think you might have had to stay there. But um, here's a question for you. How much is, is too much for a round of golf? That's $400 US, I believe, too. Yep. How, much, how much is the most you've played for a round of golf? So I'll start with that question. And how much is too much?
1: Ooh. I think the most I've paid for a round of golf is... 500, 550 New Zealand dollars. Is that too much?
0: Where was that at?
1: I believe that was at the hills. Yes, true. We
0: did discuss this, didn't we? Yes, $500 at the hills was the rate. It might be a bit more now, but yes, yep. we did pay that. Yep, we got two rounds, didn't we, yes. that day? But
1: yes. It was, in the end, great value for money. Had we played one round of golf, it was still great value for money. Would you want to do that every single week? Probably not. Um, I think New Zealand, we're very, very lucky. We have got a plethora of golf courses, and a, a lot, most of them in their own way, are fantastic. I think that we've got the second um, highest per capita golf courses in the world to Scotland. It's not expensive to play golf here by any stretch of the imagination. What would I pay for a round of golf here at a really great course? 120 to $150 gets you on all, but maybe the top 10% of golf courses in New Zealand. Would that oh, be yeah.
0: a, I wouldn't even say top 10%. Top I'd say 5%? The top 10, probably the top 10 courses, just full stop. So yeah, I think we've got a three or 400 courses. So probably the top 10 courses. Yeah.
1: 393 courses, I believe. Um, I don't know whether that's an up to date figure, but let's just say nearly 400 golf courses. We're very fortunate in this country in that we really don't have to pay a huge premium on golf courses. Um, to play my particular golf course, it's $30, $35 um, around. Let's be yeah. honest, though, there's a reason for that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy it's there, fella. Easy it's there. They're they charging
0: you, to be honest. It's a robbery that they're
1: charging $35. Don't listen to this, people. Um, wonderful golf course. But to be fair, most country golf courses around New Zealand would be of a similar price. So you might be looking at 200 to 220 of the golf courses in New Zealand are in that price range. That is not expensive.
0: No, I mean, I, it's, it's tricky, New Zealand. You're right, you're spoiled. I mean, I, so my most expensive round was Pebble Beach. I paid... 550 US dollars, it might have been pre-tax, I can't remember, I don't really want to go back and look, but it was expensive, and, and I do remember at the time, I, I don't regret it, I mean, I've, we'll talk about people Beach in weeks to come, I, I mean, there's pros and cons of the day, I mean, the famous holes were amazing, mm. the back nine took about three and a half hours, it was terrible, but the, I guess to play a course like that, that's ranked in the top 10 in the world or whatever, and, and know that you've played where all the pros have played, was pretty cool, Um, it definitely felt like a business, you know, every eight minutes there was, you know, $2,200 $2, $200 going off the first tee. It was kind of quite mind-boggling to see it. And wow. probably not many players weren't dropping another couple of hundred on merchandise and everything else went with it. But I guess that's the nature of the course they created and the, the product they were offering. And there it, it was no shortage of people. I mean, I had to book in the last 24 hours because I wasn't staying at the resort. I had to book in the last 24 hours. So I was lucky to get a spot, which says to me that, Pretty much there was that every day. Um, so did I, was it worthwhile? I mean, as a golf nut, yes. I would question, and I played by myself, well, I played in a group, but I wasn't there with friends. I probably wouldn't play again on that course by myself without friends. I've played sort of $300 rounds at the likes of Kapalua Plantation where mm-hmm. they play um, the Tournament Champions. I, I thought that was good value. I've Obviously the hills. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I think, those famous courses when you know that you've seen them on TV and stuff like that, that's, a I suppose, a, a destination. And it depends what spins your wheels. Like, I'm not a car guy. I mean, some people would spend 50 grand on a car I just a car to me gets from A to B. So, look, $1, on a $1,000 on a golf trip. Um, we've talked a little bit about Tara E.T. potentially being a couple of grand to go up there and play a couple of rounds. I think it's, it's all about the environment. You just got to make sure you don't rush it. You obviously got to make sure you enjoy the day, being in a good mood. You certainly wouldn't want to I don't know, you, you can't get angry about the golf you play when you play, pay that kind of money. No. I think those Kia or Island-type places, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they require you to stay on site. So they probably create an environment where you are there for two or three days and, like I said, five courses. It tends to be the way these big resorts are heading, lots of courses on site, you know, really making an event of it. And that's probably what makes it enjoyable and, and probably the packages. You know, Over time, they start to come down a little bit. I'm just actually quickly looking at the packages now in terms of, you know, potentially what it would cost to play a package at the uh, at Kewa Island and there's no prices on the website, which probably means that it's very expensive. But yes. um but you know, I do remember somewhere sort of three or four hundred dollars was the rate to play there. But yes, there'd always all the sort of additional things on top. But look, I think I, I I think it's worthwhile and you can drop money in lots of different ways, but you've just got to be in the right mood. So you don't wanna rush around, you don't wanna, you know, be trying to squeeze and work. And I suppose you've got to ask, do you want to enjoy it with someone else? And and often with these very premium courses, you may not have others to play with and that definitely took away a little bit of the shine from People yep. Beach. But um, you are right, in New Zealand we are spoiled um, and there's not too many courses that we can't get on here.
1: And it which, is about uh, it's about ascertaining your value out of any particular round or golf course that you go to. Like, w- Obviously you and I talk quite a lot about courses that we aspire to go and play or great courses that we already have played that we'd go and play again and we're looking to create an awesome memory and sometimes there's a cost associated with that as there is anything potentially in life and the question is after you've paid that do you feel you got value for it and across the board most of the times i would say i haven't walked away from too many golf courses and said no that was really bad value for money i've for me as a golfer i i generally feel i've had good value for my money that i've spent and that's what I'm personally looking for. The question I'd ask you, though, is what about as an entry point for new golfers? Like We're talking about some places where, you know, you could spend four or $500. What, what's an acceptable number for somebody who's looking to enter playing golf? Well, I think it, you know, once
0: again, it's all in the eyes of the beholder. But I think a $50 type round, which I know in New Zealand is very accessible, I think is a good point. You're going to get four to five hours of entertainment if you want it. I'd be honest, I think you'd struggle to get much cheaper entertainment when you look at it like that. Yeah. So I think as long as you, there's an opportunity to play that $40, $50 course, um, you know, parts of the world, even though golf's a lot more private than it is in New Zealand, there's still plenty of muni type courses or government, or, you know, local council courses. So I think $50 is, a, is an aspirational number. I know there's been a lot of you know short courses built recently at the top resorts, but they're not going to be that accessible. But I mean, the, the nine-hole-type courses and stuff, I suppose $50 is the number that comes up to me. It feels like that is a good exchange of money or whatever the equivalent value of that in, in sort of overseas countries. And, and in New Zealand, as you know, if you go out to the country courses, not impossible to pay sort of 20 or 30 if you catch a, the course at the right time. But you always got to think about the course. I mean, there's only so many people that can be on a golf course at one time and they need
1: to maximize their revenue. So yeah, $50 would be the number I'd come up with. Yep, no, oh, I could I could agree with that. Um, and yeah, I had a discussion today with uh, with another golfing buddy. We talked about the accessibility of golf courses and how do you attract um, how do you attract people to the game? And we were we were actually talking about here in Christchurch, um, and also in Queenstown. There's a couple of nine hole par three golf courses. I don't feel that they're necessarily utilised as well as they could be. And perhaps they should be used a little bit better to to be the entry point for people to, to get onto a golf course. It's very accessible, it's very affordable. You don't have the pressures of sometimes being out on an 18-hole golf course when there's actual golfers out there who are, you know, trying to rush through and put pressure on you. I just wonder if there's an opportunity out there to to be able to push those golf courses for for people that are looking to get into the game a little bit more.
0: Possibly. I think one of the big trends overseas you've seen in recent years, though, has been not so much necessarily always being on the golf course, but the top golfs, which I've enjoyed a couple yes, of trips to. Yes. I think golf, understanding that golf doesn't have to be played on a golf course. It could be in a simulator and top golf. I think how yep. people get into it is different. And you only have to look at countries like South Korea, I believe, where you know, a lot of people who play golf never play golf that we'd call golf mm. you know, on a real course. So I suppose that's the question. is just how it you know, if you can enjoy your scenario and, and yeah, for some people getting on a golf course, isn't actually uh, necessarily affordable. But just on, on that note, where, where's the spot that you would go to if you could organize, and we've, we've been stuck in New Zealand for best part of 15 months now. Um, as you know, at one point I, I'm turning 40 next year. I had an ambition to put together a real, a dream trip. Um, yes. And, and you know where that was too, so I'll mention in a second. But where, where would you go? Where's your dream golf trip location in the world? As you know, golf, golfdrifter.com dot com is all about golf trips and planning. Then, where, where would
1: you go right now,
0: when you well, could, if you could?
1: Well, I don't think this is going to be a, a gigantic surprise. Where I'm going to say, um, Scotland. Scotland is my ultimate golf destination. Um, Yes, the old course at St Andrews is wonderful. And to be honest, one of only two golf courses I've actually ever got to play in Scotland. But all those good courses that are over there like Carnoustie, Royal Troon, Kingsbarn, Muirfield, where I was very lucky to go and see the final round when Phil Mickelson won there. They're just courses that just appeal to, appeal to me as a golfer and as a watcher of golf. Plus, I love Scotland. Scotland's got everything that I could humanly ever want other than maybe some bad weather. Sorry, Scottish listeners, Um, but it's true. Scotland just as a destination just has everything about it that is appealing to me outside of golf and inside of golf. So that would be the place that would always be at the very top of my list. But I'm going to surprise you with, I have got a, a 1B, and that is Mission Hills in China. interesting. That is a place that I've been looking at for a few years. Um, the fact that they have twelve golf courses on the on the property is of a great deal of, of interest to me. Um, I think there's eleven championship golf courses and a par a full par three golf course. The fact that you could just go to one place and do nothing but play golf, that is very very appealing. So they'd be the two things that, yeah, in the, in the post-COVID world, and once we're allowed to, they'd be the two places I'd look to go to.
0: Yeah, I've actually, I've done a bit of research, as you know, on Mission Hills, because I wrote a, a blog for it, for the, uh, the website, and uh, the golf looked very affordable. There's actually 12 courses, and there's another 10 at a different Mission Hills down in the South China. So there's actually well, about 22, if you want to kind of go crazy. But, um, yeah, the golf seemed affordable. I think it wouldn't be a serene trip. I think some of the places I love to go to are a little bit out in the middle of nowhere. i all accounts. There's quite literally thousands of rounds played a day. So it's a very big business. So I suppose that's an issue, but I would agree that I think you would, I love going to those resorts where you can sort of stay in one play and place and just play, 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 which is why for me, Bandon June's in Oregon and USA is my spot. Right. I had it all, I had it all priced out, ready to book pre COVID. Pretty much without the point of booking for my fortieth, had the crew of guys, which you're one of, ready to go, and and obviously the world has has not allowed me to do that. So, look, I will go there at some point. Looks like five genuine world class courses, um, kind of a a barn boogle on steroids, I, I guess you might say. So that that's definitely my one. I think the golf itself, staying on site, funnily enough, the courses probably are quite Scottishy. So I, I hear those Lynx courses, they definitely appeal to my eye, and I think the variation on them is pretty cool. I think if I can't play Lynx golf, then Sort of the island tropical golf, the Hawaii is another spot for me, which I've uh, particularly enjoyed. So, yeah, those are my two. Um, look, it's time to wrap it up. We're almost at the end of the show. Um, a little bit of course news to share from New Zealand for our New Zealand listeners. I was, I was very uh, enthused today to read an article about the continued redevelopment of Formosa Golf Course. So, for those <laughs> of you, you people out there that know Formosa um a a completely bizarre story really it looks like Formosa is kind of coming back and uh i've seen this firsthand the course has been getting in better shape over the last couple of years it was bought by uh, the new zealand super fund i believe in conjunction with some private investors i thought it was a property development they were buying it for and the course was basically doomed and and that may still be the case long term but certainly in the short term it appears that a lot of work's going into formosa based on what i've seen firsthand and some articles they've uh redone the driving range they've um they fixed up a lot of the greens, which are in terrible shape. There's sand in the bunkers, and, and it, you know, it was always even in its terrible state, it was about a sort of forty-five dollar uh, round of golf,
1: which was always amazing value for the bones of the course. Um, have you been there, Boyd? I have never been there. It's, it's probably one of the very few places we've got left to to play in Auckland that that haven't actually been to. Um, so let's make sure we lock that yeah. in for, for our next trip.
0: Certainly, it's bizarre, and I still don't quite know how it all adds up long term, and I and I think it struggles with its location. It's kind of one course out in the middle of nowhere, but it's so close to Auckland, it doesn't really feel like a getaway. However, they've got some relatively nice accommodation on site, so I guess it's the sort of place you could take a bunch of mates for the weekend, play two or three rounds, eat on site, et cetera. So, look, I, I was enthused to read about it. I don't know what the prices are going to settle at now that it's kind of new and improved. I think the course itself would still take a fairly large investment if someone ever wanted to completely get it back to its heyday when it was hosting the Lights in the Opens. But it's good to see it coming back and Auckland certainly um, can benefit from that. So uh, yeah, that was my course news for the week. But um, look, that wraps up uh, this week's Golf Drifter podcast. Hopefully our audio was a bit better. Hopefully we're uh, we're all set to watch the PGA. So uh, any last thoughts?
1: Oh, look, I'm excited about, I'm actually just looking at the Formosa site now, um, I'm quite excited about uh, next time we play in Auckland that we're going to go at Formosa. The question I have is, uh, is it nice and flat? No, no, you, oh, you yeah, would struggle. Oh, well, well, we'll probably give it a miss then, we'll give that a miss, we'll hand back out to Windross Farm there. Exactly. That's the case. Um, no, no ever I'm ever. just looking, much like you, looking forward to uh, the PGA this week, Um I haven't really decided who I'm going to have a bet on though. Uh, the fact that you've just hassled me for basically picking half the field that definitely means that I will be backing somebody. Uh, and as I've been writing down, I keep circling Gary Woodland's name, so he's gonna he's gonna be my man this week. So, yeah,
0: I'll be impressed. On. I'll be impressed if you make money. He'll be giving some decent odds, I imagine. Indeed, indeed. Okay, mate. You have All a right, good
1: mate. week, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. See Zero. you.